0: You are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. I'm doing my best to be as creative and as powerful but but I really want to encourage you guys every single week as you sit here before you even enter the sanctuary that you say God I want to know you today like I want you to just knock me out I want to I want to understand what you're doing in my life and what you're doing around the world and father I just I just want to know more of you isn't that our prayer do you want that to be your prayer Amen. So in this series, we'll address a lot of different issues, issues like evolution, um, or were we purposefully created, or are you just primordial ooze, or were you intentionally created by such a loving God? We'll talk about what family is and what marriage is, not the way the world defines it and then redefines it and then re-redefines it. No, we'll see what God has to say about marriage. After all, he's the one behind the entire design. God is the one who created the institution of marriage. But we'll also talk about sin and how it came to affect all of us, but more importantly, how it impacted my or your relationship with God. We'll talk about also the flood among all these other amazing historical events. And if we can trust in the Bible as fact rather than fiction— We'll talk about the beginning of god's covenant with us and how undeserving we are and yet how gracious he's been even from the beginning and we 'll talk about humanity and how we 've all become a world of different nations with different people all these amazing things now there's just so much to talk about if I were to give you all the topics right now, I fear not I may not have enough time for a sermon but do you guys understand how the the, the first book of the Bible is just so incredibly foundational to your faith? Like, you got to start here. Without understanding and accepting this book, then we throw out not only the authority of Scripture, not only the uh, authority of historical events, but you actually begin to deny the existence of God. Yeah. Instead, we begin to start accepting that mankind were here by chance with no greater purpose than to simply live Eat, sleep, and play, rinse and repeat day after day until we die. That makes us no different from the animals around us. Turn to neighbor and say this you don't, You're not an animal. Even though we are. You know what I mean? But if we accept Genesis as what it is, the book of beginnings that describes God's story of glory and his love story for us, then we'll, I think, and I believe, we'll find ourselves to be on the right path towards truth and understanding. So, like Sister Maria from The Sound of Music, we too must start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. So today, we've been on a, we're going to begin a long journey, okay? A long journey that I hope and believe will that you'll find inspiring, informative, and I pray simply spirit-filled. So I ask that you all patiently and that you all faithfully journey with me through this amazing book. Can I hear an amen? So take down notes, okay, pray a lot of prayers, read the entire book in its entirety, do all that stuff, even pray over the difficult parts of Scripture in Genesis that you're like, did this really happen? Did God really say this is true? All that stuff, pray over that, Mole over that, chew over that, and together as one family, one church, I think we'll do fine, okay? So the book of Genesis, it means becoming, It's the becoming of the world. It's the becoming of the human race. It's the becoming of the chosen people of Israel. And the Jews, they called it Beresit, which simply means in Hebrew, in the beginning. If you really want to get a kickstart in knowing who God is, then there's no better place than the book of Genesis. Now, little do we realize that while we love the gospel, if you love the gospel, let me hear an Amen. We do our best in presenting the gospel to an unbelieving world, but we have to understand that the foundation of the gospel is actually right here in Genesis. Because to be an effective witness to Christ in our world, we need to present the gospel the way the Bible presents it, right? Not the way that you just feel like wanting to present it. We have to present the gospel in the way the Bible presents it, and the Bible presents it with, first, the doctrine of God as creator. Can you say God as creator? Because Genesis explains who God is and what he's done. It explains how human beings are created in God's image and are therefore responsible to God for what we do. Genesis will, Genesis will explain how we have fallen from that high and lofty, amazing calling and how we now need someone to rescue us from death and despair. And so through Genesis, it will trace the line from Adam to Abraham to Moses to David and other Old Testament figures up to the amazing appearance and the amazing work, life, and death of Jesus. All that to say is that we need to understand that our present world was actually no different from the spiritually ignorant, spiritually paganistic, corrupt, and rebellious world that came to be when sin first entered the world. And just as it was needed then, Genesis, I pray and hope, will open your eyes to the realization of how utterly desperate we are in need of God's grace today. Do you need God's grace? I need it. I need God's grace. Without God's grace, I have absolutely No hope for anything. I need God's grace. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need God's grace. grace. Now, you'll probably think of some deeply profound questions regarding this book as we go on. And I want to ask that you wait for the Sunday that I will address that topic. But if you can't wait, like Pastor Esther said, my email information is all in the bulletin. And you can email me and we can talk about it over a cup of coffee anytime you want. Okay? And by the way, some of the most profound questions I've yet to hear is it's not how long were the actual days of creation or or what, was, what is the original sin or even questions about the worldwide flood. The one question that really made me pause and think for a bit was this. Can you guess? And this, was, this question was posed by an elementary school student. And that was, did Adam have a belly button? And I thought for a second, but well, he wouldn't. Or would he? It was such a profound question. So we may or may not address it. That's okay. Either way, email me your questions and thoughts as we go through our services. Amen? So let's go into our text. What does it say? Our text today tells us that there was a beginning. Say, no, duh. I mean, that sounds so obvious. There was a beginning. It's simple. There was a beginning. Yet for some reason, for some reason, Reason, there are many people out there in this world who have a hard time accepting this view. There's this idea that the world, whether in atoms or particles or whatever, has always existed, and through billions of years of evolution, it evolved to what is now you and me and the universe. But God, he says something different. He says there was a beginning. We're not told when. And even if he did tell us when, our minds are just completely incapable of perceiving a time before time because we are a people of time and life is linear, a straight line for us. We can't conceptualize the beginning of nothingness. Can you, can you describe nothingness to me? We can't. It's kind of difficult. You can describe what happened from yesterday, today, or from last year, today. But this idea of what happened before time, we can't, we can't wrap our minds around that. But there was a beginning, and in that beginning it also suggests that there will be an end. You get that? If there was, if there is a beginning, then that means there's an end. That end means that there was then a purpose, a goal, a finality that needs to be met. So it's no accident that the Bible, which begins with the creation of the heavens and earth, also ends, Scripture, with the creation of new heaven and new earth. Folks, let me say this. You all have a beginning. Mine was nearly over 30 years ago in Alexandria, Alexandria, Virginia. That's where I was born. But the thing is, I knew I wasn't born to just live, eat, play, and die. I wasn't simply born to make money, drive a fast car, get married, make babies, and be nice to people. My purpose goes beyond the goals I've made for myself during my lifetime. Because, as is with all humans, we were made for a divine purpose. Turn to your neighbor and say, You're made for a divine purpose. And this divine purpose is given to us by who? God. He is our creator. Amen. He is our designer. A created thing doesn't ascribe its own purpose. No, created things were created with intent by the creator. A car can't think of itself and say, you know what? I'm going to be a boat. So I'm going to go ahead into the water. Well, good luck with that. Cars are made to be driven on land. It's not up to us to determine our own purpose. You see, when we create our own purposes, and a lot of people do this now, My purpose is the American dream. My purpose is to get hitched to that guy or to that girl. My purpose in life right now is to have at least a six-figure salary. My purpose is to have that fast car. My purpose. See, we are creating our own purposes. And here's the truth. Something in life will inevitably hinder us from fulfilling that purpose. Won't it? Tragedy. Failings. Whatever it is. Injustice. And when that happens, when we try to pursue our own purposes, our own self-created, self-issued purposes, and the inevitabilities of life come its way, and, and we fall short, what happens? We get depressed, we get devalued, and ultimately we get dejected. But guess what? God says, You're I've given you a purpose, a purpose that you can't make for yourselves. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, We'll talk about the perfection of God's creation, and we'll also talk about how sin entered the world and corrupted that perfection, but let me ask you this. Did it in any way, when sin entered the world, when it messed up this amazing divine order that God created, did it in any way hinder God's purpose? Did it in any way ruin and foil God's plan? The answer is no, absolutely not. In the same way, people, the purpose that God had originated for you, it goes beyond what your own expectations might be for yourselves. That means in the midst of our moral failures, in the midst of our family brokenness that totally occupies most of our time, in the midst of your physical pain that debilitates you, in the midst of social pressures that pressures you to do things opposite of what God wants, If we understand that God has set forth a grand and a divine purpose from the beginning, nothing, not even the most trying circumstances, can take our God-given purpose away. There's something more. You see, there is an undercurrent in your life that God is doing in you. He's leading you. But the question is, are you willing to embrace it? Are Are you willing to accept it? God has a, plan, has a plan and purpose for you. And it's not a plan and purpose that you can make for yourselves. There was a beginning for the world, and there was a beginning for your life as well. Never forget that if there was a beginning, then there's also an end. And if there is an end, then that means there's a purpose that must be fulfilled, a purpose given to us from God, and we may be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion and to the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? So say to your neighbor, you have a divine purpose because there was a beginning in your life. My second point is this. In the beginning, God. That's it. In the beginning, God. There's a former physicist named Arthur Compton. And he once said, these these words are the most tremendous words ever penned. In the beginning, God. God. When you and I read that, we're just like, okay, whatever, obviously. Let me tell you, it implies several things about God. First, it goes against the idea that God is part of his creation, that he is some sort of energy source. Have you guys, let me ask you this, in this 21st century, a lot of people don't date organically anymore. You don't go around, I don't know what people did back then, go to bars or something like that, and I'm not advertising that you do that. But when people date, they typically go on websites, don't they? Like single.com or eHarmony or or match not that's right match.com or um, farmers.com right <laughs> things like that right you do that and if you look at the if you look at the um, kind of the algorithm or whatever they use it says you have to pick your height and you pick your weight your weight I don't know right you pick your stuff like that. And if you go to the kind of the religion aspect portion, it says Christian, it says atheist, it says uh, Muslim, and so on. And it even says this one term, it says spiritual. Right? It says spiritual. Like, what in the world does that even mean? It's a spiritual. I'm not a Christian, but I'm spiritual. I believe in God, but I'm not spiritual. And so there's this idea. If you talk to people here, a lot of them will actually say, I'm actually a spiritual person. I remember talking to one of my high school buddies. We ran into each other a few months ago, and he and his fiance they asked me to um, to have dinner with them. And so I had dinner with them, and and uh, I, I spoke. I, I was talking to her because she said, "Oh, you're a pastor." Okay, well, I, I think you, I, I believe in a lot of things that you believe. I'm like, "Oh, really? You're you're, you're a Christian?" She's like, "Well, n- not exactly. I'm spiritual." I'm like. Yeah, okay. What do you mean by that? But, well, I, believe, I believe in God. Really? Well, I believe in an energy. I believe in that energy possesses all of us. And you can feel, I'm like, I, I mean, I feel God. Absolutely. But a lot of people have this misunderstanding that God is some sort of energy. That he is some sort of force. That he is something that, that a lot of people who say that they're deistic or pantheistic, that they accept that God is this being i don't know who i don't know how to describe him but he's some sort of feeling i get some sort of electrical pulse he is something the spirit of living things or universal energy a lot of people will say that well here we read that god was not part of that creation he's not just an essence he's not just a product of his creation but god was there from the beginning before all of creation he is self-existent amen he was way before all that Now, this is a concept that we may have difficulty getting our heads to wrap around because everything in life and everything in life is dependent on someone else or something else, but not God. He existed himself in perfect completeness. He was without need or want before anything else was created. Now, people might say, well, I know why God made me. God was lonely and he needed people. He was lonely. He didn't like walking through the cool of the Eden day just by himself. He wanted to make himself an Adam. He wanted to make himself an Eve. He wanted us. He needed companionship. He needed worship from us. No, he didn't need our worship. In fact, Luke 19, Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. This is referring to the praise and worship that he was receiving from the people during his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, shut him up. And he says, no, you see, I'm receiving worship because I'm God. And even if I were to shut them up, guess what? The stones would cry out. We need to worship God. But God, he doesn't need our worship. God, he desires fellowship. He desires a relationship with us. And he expresses his glory through many different ways. But God, he is not dependent on anything we can give because God is completely and utterly self-sufficient. Now, here's the application question regarding that point for all of us. You're not God. You're not self-existent. You're not self-sufficient. Not only do you need those around you, but you need God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need God. You are dependent on his grace and mercy, whether you realize it or not. The fact that you woke up this morning was God's grace to you. You know that? The, the fact that you got here safely despite your erratic driving or the erratic driving of other people around you was God's mercy on you. God does not need us, but we certainly need him, amen? And the sooner you come to that realization, the sooner you'll realize your source of strength and your source of purpose. So under the second point so far, we had this. God was not a part of his creation, but rather he was before it from the beginning. We also learn that God is self-existent and self-sufficient, and he doesn't need us, but that we need him. And lastly, under that point, is that God is eternal. Say to your neighbor, God is eternal. Now, what does that mean? It means that God has always been and always will be. Amen? you really believe that? God always has been and always will be. Brothers and sisters, we can echo the praise and words of Moses when he said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you were brought forth the earth and the world from ever to ever- everlasting to everlasting, you are God. But this is where we can make it personal. Go back into the moment of your life where you felt that you were all alone, abandoned, afraid, hurt, neglected. Let me say this. The eternality of God says that he was there, that he was there. The moment that you felt that the entire world, even the ones that you loved dear, abandoned you, the eternality of God says, I am there and I was there. But even more beautifully, he says, I'm the same. I don't change. I am constant. Let me say this, brothers and sisters, God is here in your life too. And he has never let you go and he never changes. Regardless of however way we are with him, whether we rebel against him or sinning against him, God, he will always be there for us if you're his child in Christ Jesus, he will discipline you and bring you back to him. But that all encompasses the eternality of God, that he's all-powerful, all-knowing, he's infinite, immortal, unchangeable, unshakable. He who always been, always will be. God is eternal, amen? My last point, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the word creation is often misunderstood by us. When we think of people on the Kickstarter website trying to introduce a new wireless phone charger or a machine that purifies water for third world nations, we speak of people making or forming or manufacturing something. But this word create can only be used of God Himself and it's never ascribed to humans. God, He creates the wind, God, He creates miracles. God, he creates a new heart within us. And before all that, God, he created the heavens and the earth. In other words, his creation involves, as one commentary put it, giving existence to something that did not previously exist so that it is not formed from materials already at hand that's why right. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of god so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible heaven and earth in hebrew is a way of saying the universe in other words everything so in the beginning god he created everything 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 that you are, everything that you have, everything that you see, the Lord God made it. Praise the Lord. Everything. You know, just the other day, actually, uh, a friend, a couple friend of ours came to, uh, to visit us from Philadelphia. And uh, they had two adopted children, and so we they wanted to introduce them to us, and we were just getting to know their beautiful kids. And, you know, Ada was just having a hard time sharing her toys. Here's the thing. It wasn't even her toys. It was their toys. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had this tug-of-war. Of course, our, our, our friends were just being totally gracious. They're like, no, just keep it. They, they just gave us their own children's toys. I, I felt so bad. But I remember afterwards... You know, there she was playing with her electronic dinosaur, which I admit was pretty cool. But she was playing with it, and I said, Ada, this isn't yours. And she said, it's mine. <laughs> Listen to me, child. <laughs> it's not yours. Can you give it to Junior? I want to teach her how to share. And she said, but it's mine. And that really just made me think. How many times have we said that about just our things. Not, I'm not talking about materialism. I'm not talking about your finances. I'm not talking about the car, your money, your clothes. I'm talking about your being. How many times have you said, God says, I am speaking to you loud and clear through Scripture, through the accountability of your friends, your life group, through the sermons. I'm asking you to walk in obedience and faith, and I want you to go forward and advance in faith and to do this and step out of your comfort zone. We you say, you can't touch this. I'm not going to do it because who I am and my ambitions and my desires and what I'm willing to do in life, it's mine. And God is saying, uh uh. You see, not only have I created the material universe, but I've created you too. And I've created every aspect of who you are. You are mine. And let let me say, brothers and sisters, when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, not only has he made you from the beginning, okay, but he has also recreated in you by the power of the Holy Spirit as you come to know him through his Son. Therefore, not only does he own you once, he owns you twice. He has doubly purchased us. And here we are still singing the same song. No, it's mine. God says, in the beginning, he created. Everything is his. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Everything that God made. Now, there's a lot of questions that you might start thinking about, especially when we're talking about Genesis. And we might have this tendency to try to create a separation between our personal convictions and we just kind of want to know the nitty-gritty kind of information of of Genesis. Like, is really the modern African elephant related to the woolly mammoth through microevolution? Blah, blah, blah. Or is there really particles that had already existed that God used then to create the universe? It's not a question about if, if that happened or this happened. This is a question of faith here. The question is, do you believe that God is God? Do you believe that in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth? Do you believe that every fiber of your body, every hair on your head, every ambition, every desire, everything of who you are is God's? Do you believe that? So do you see how answering this question will determine how you really approach everything else in Scripture? Do you see that when we answer with a just a maybe or quite possibly or probably not, then we're actually leaving a lot of room to question the validity of so many other things that God has clearly made authoritative in our lives. So why is this question important then? Because I believe that if we accept this premise, it will move us to only one direction, that is the direction of humility. If you believe and concede that God is God and that he made everything and he made the heavens and the earth and he made who you are and every part of who you are, then it has no choice but then for us to say, God, I surrender. You are God and I am not. And It will lead us to worship. It will lead us to finally pursue a life of faith as we accept God's plan of redemption through his son, Jesus. I want to finish off with this really interesting verse. There's a verse in scripture that takes us even before Genesis 1:1. <gasps> what Bible am I reading? John 1:1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This means that before creation, before all this, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you continue reading on John chapter 1, you'll come to a verse that gives us a reason for why you and I were made. That's John 1.14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, why the creation of the world? And then why the creation of you and me? He made you because God has an eternal love for you. Did you know that? He has an eternal love for you. Beyond the purpose, beyond anything you could ever do for God or any way that you can live for God, we must understand that the God who from the beginning who made it all is the same God who from the beginning loves you all. His motivation was love. So, why were you made? You were made for a purpose, absolutely, definitely. But that answers to what? But why were you made? Because God loves you. Because God loves you. Can, you. can you just say that to yourself? God loves me. Why were you made? God loves you. He loves you more than any man could ever love you. He loves you more than any woman could ever love you. He loves you more than anyone or any child or anything or any person could ever, ever profess to saying, I love you. You see, God, his design, his desire for your creation was simply this, out of his love. Love made me and love made you. Your heavenly father loves you. And so don't distance yourself from God's love as you go through the series. Don't make it about the little nitty-gritty details of Genesis. But with every verse that you read, with every prayer that you pray, with each sermon that you hear, remember, it was God's love all along because it was his love that made you. Amen? And it was his love that continues on pouring into us through us, for us, to work through us for the sake of others through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So family, I want to ask you to take a moment to pray. And to pray in such a way where you recognize the authority and the power of God, but not in such a way where it leaves you just in all which is good in itself but in a way that allows you to understand that that in that great power there is love that in that amazing majesty of his there is love that in his never changing eternality of being the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow you see there is love God loves you. Can you accept that? Will you believe that? Maybe we've just been so hurt in the past that it's hard for us to now actually have an appropriate understanding of what that love is. And every time we try to ascribe that definition to God, it falls short because We're just so limited in our understanding and in our experience of it. But brothers and sisters, man, does God love you. You weren't a pointless creation. You're not some aimless figure in this world of seven billion people. And you're made for more than just day in and day out living and breathing and playing and sleeping. No, you're you're made because of God's love. Love made you. You're created to love him back. To love others. Maybe right now, the question that you need to ask or the prayer that you need to pray beyond anything else is, especially as we're going over Genesis, is simply, God, am I in a position where I just completely believe in you? Everything that you have to say, your words, Genesis 1, all the way through the entire book, God, can I trust that this is you? And if you can't, maybe you have to pray, Lord, Give me the foundation of faith. Because in order for me to journey on and in order for me to grow in my faith and to mature as a mature Christian, Lord, is I need a strong foundation that will not question you but will completely trust you. That you are God and that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Let's take a moment and let's just pray that over ourselves Now as you plan and prepare for the Lord's Supper, the communion, this is a moment where we can go before the Lord and, and simply pray and consider and think over the great display of His love for us through the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord's Supper is not something that we just do arbitrarily. It's something that must be done thoughtfully, faithfully, and prayerfully. Otherwise, the Lord will judge us in our hearts. The Lord's Supper is for those who have not only verbally professed and confessed in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but who are now living a life in obedience of that profession. If there is a sin right now in your life and you know what it is, I may not know it, the person next to you may not know it, but you certainly do. And it brings shame in your life. It brings guilt. It makes you question the true love of God. It makes you question the ultimate forgiveness of God. It makes you almost feel that you are So unworthy. Whatever it might be, now is the time to say, God, take it from me. Release me from this bondage of guilt and shame. Because your Son, Jesus, died for this. Up on that cross was nailed not only the sins of the world, but my sins. And in you, Christ Jesus, I am free. I'm marked, Lord, by your grace and by your mercy, not by condemnation. So examine your heart at this time. And when you're ready, as a church, please come up on either side and participate, partake in the Lord's communion with me. So take a moment to pray, to repent, and then to come up. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, we thank you for your faithful obedience to the will of the Father. The anguish, the pain, the suffering that you had to endure on my behalf. And who am I to deserve such grace? I'm no one and deserve nothing. Undeserving, ill-deserving, And yet it's simply because of your love for us, your love for me, that you went up on that cross to die my death. I thank you for this holy moment that we could do this in remembrance of what happened that 2,000 years ago. And I pray that we will constantly reflect and think about Apart upon what you've done that not a day will pass when we forget about the great gospel that starts with your life your death and the resurrection we thank you also for the study in Genesis here and just as there is a beginning we know that there is an end and Lord just as we know in this verse here that one day you will come back to partake that one day you will come and you will bookend this life and you will bring in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. But until then, Father, I pray that as a Christian, Lord, as a body, as a church, that we will grow and we will advance your kingdom one soul at a time. I pray that that you would spiritually empower us to love and to pour out that same grace and mercy that you poured out unto us, unto others, Father, and that you would help us to truly be that beacon of light, of joy and salvation in this much dark world, Holy Spirit, we need you to lead us now to unify this body. So Father, we thank you. We love you. God, you are God. You are the creator. You are the designer. In all things, Lord, you have made. We love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please join me.